Welcome back to Takes by the Lake from Cleveland.com, where we talk about the 0-1 Cleveland Browns. But we're not going to dwell too much in the past. You're getting a lot of that this week, and you should. Doug Maurice from Cleveland.com. Read my stuff at Cleveland.com. Follow me on Twitter at Doug Maurice. Make sure you're subscribing to our Project Text stuff. Mary Kay Cabot on the Browns, me on Ohio State. You can find it at cleveland.com slash OSU for the Ohio State stuff, cleveland.com slash Browns for the Mary Kay stuff. Those are a couple texts a day about the teams you love. And I think you love the Browns still. Do you love them still? Hard times, but you're used to hard times. We're going to look ahead. Two great guests this week. We're going to look ahead to the Jets game. Um, we have Matt Stupolkowski from NJ Advanced Media. He covers the Jets. I talked with him about uh, the Greg Williams defense, um, that crushing loss for the Jets where they blew a 16-0 lead to the Bills in the fourth quarter. Uh, we talked about Sam Darnold and Baker Mayfield and uh, a world where maybe they would have been drafted to each other's team. And then we have Charles McDonald from SB Nation, Follow him on Twitter at 4Verts. He's just a tremendous guy to break down the NFL. Great on quarterbacks. Really love him on quarterbacks. So he and I talked about the whole class of 2018, focusing in on Baker Mayfield, Sam Darnold, and Lamar Jackson. I think it's an interesting discussion. Um, nobody's arguing that the Browns should have done anything different than take Baker Mayfield, but I think it's interesting to look at those guys in context because Baker Mayfield's going to be compared to all them for a long time just like you are with guys in, in your class, in your recruiting class in college, in your draft class in the NFL. So we're going to get to them, but I want to give you my quick take on the game. Um, and I and I did this. I do a thing with a dog puppet that I do some videos for our Browns Insider, uh, which is a newsletter that you get every day as part of your three ninety nine subscription to the Browns Text Project. You get the Mary Kay text every day, and then you get little um, mini columns and mini videos and Q&As that only subscribers get. Because listen, we give you all this stuff. So much of our stuff is free. And this is bonus stuff. So I've had some people complain, why don't I get the stuff? I'm a loyal subscriber. You get a lot of stuff um, in the Plain Dealer and on Cleveland.com. This is extra and it's worth it. I think it's worth it. If you like the Browns, I think it's worth it. So I was griping about Chris Hubbard after the game. Chris Hubbard, I thought, was non-functional. It's maybe how Urban Meyer would have described him. The PFF grades are out in pass blocking for tackles in week one. Chris Hubbard ranked 31st, which is middle of the pack um, for pass blocking. Uh, that was better than Dennis Kelly, the Titans' backup left tackle that everybody thought was going to have a problem with Miles Garrett. I thought he did fine. He was 46th in pass blocking among tackles. And Greg Robinson, before he kicked the dude in the head, was 49th in pass blocking. So by the grades, Chris Hubbard was not incredibly awful. He was in the middle of the pack. That's pass blocking grades. Overall, however, let's look at the overall PFF grades for the Browns tackle. See, I'm, I'm, I'm scrolling. I'm scrolling into the 40s and I don't see him yet. I'm scrolling... Justin McCray, who's a guy who had to come in at right tackle, signed from the Packers last week after Robinson got kicked out and Kendall Lamb got hurt. Justin McCray was the highest graded tackle for the Browns. He was uh, 48th overall. This is pass blocking and run blocking combined. Let's see. Let's expand the list to the hundreds. Chris Hubbard was 53rd overall among tackles because his run blocking grade was bad. And uh, let's see where Greg Robinson... Greg Robinson was 60th. So your two starting tackles for making like... What are they making? Like 7 million bucks a year each. They're paid higher than this. They graded out 53rd and 60th among tackles um, in week one. 
But I thought Chris Hubbard, it, it's maybe he had like if he high, graded higher than Greg Robinson, maybe he had more decent plays. When he's bad, he puts Baker Mayfield in harm's way. And they need a better connection between Freddie Kitchen's play calls, Baker Mayfield's um, clock in his head and getting the ball out, and the fact that their tackles aren't good. Because the most egregious moment probably in the game the other day was when Freddie Kitchens calls play action from the end zone and allows – this is after Greg Robinson's out of the game. So Kendall Lamb's at left tackle. It's actually the play that Kendall Lamb got hurt on because Baker Mayfield like got sacked into Kendall Lamb and he got rolled up. So at right tackle, you have Chris Hubbard at right tackle against Cameron Wake, who's a five-time pro bowler, who had already smoked Chris Hubbard earlier in the game. And you leave Hubbard one-on-one in the end zone, and Baker Mayfield holds the ball. And it's like, A, Freddie, what do you do in calling that? B, Baker, what do you do in holding the ball like that? And C, there's no way Chris Hubbard's going to block Cameron Wake for long enough to let that play to develop. So he didn't let him in like right away. But in the end, he let him in. And I know there's a great connection. The offensive linemen get blamed sometimes when the quarterback holds the ball. But I thought Chris Hubbard was non-functional on multiple plays. And there was the previous sack he allowed to wake when uh, the Browns were also kind of backed up in their own territory. And Baker got hit and kind of fumbled up the one. And the Browns got it back. And I thought that could have been much worse than it actually turned out. They ended up punting. But Chris Hubbard, he blew some. He had two holding calls and a false start. He had a terrible miss block on a run play with Nick Chubb, which is why his run, maybe why his run blocking grade was so bad. I think they're almost to the point where they have to do have to think about, I didn't want them to panic and do a trade in the preseason for Trent Williams and, and panic at, uh, out of desperation with their tackles. Eric Cush was not great either. So that's three of your five spots in the offensive line that were not great. But they have to adjust something, and I thought that they got some work done when they kept uh, six and seven guys in to protect early on. Baker Mayfield had two good throws early, I think, to Rashard Higgins, where he had protection because they kept six or seven guys in. They kept in the tight end. They kept in the running back to block, and it's like that's what they did so well last season with these same tackles playing. You can't just leave them on an island. You can't just play three receivers and send five guys out into the route and just assume that Chris Hubbard and Greg Robinson are going to do their job because they're not going to do their job. I didn't think Chris Hubbard did his job on Sunday. And and I don't know that Chris Hubbard's going to do his job this year. So by the grades, he's better than Greg Robinson. And kicking somebody in the head is worse than not kicking somebody in the head. So let's give, let's upgrade Chris Hubbard's PFF grade in the not kicking somebody in the head column. Let me see if that's one of the columns here. Um, okay. Kicking other, kicking opponents in the head. Okay. That's kicking O-I-T-H. The K-O-I-T-H column. Let's see. The only person, the only tackle with a one in the K-O-I-T-H care, uh, column is Greg Robinson. So he's the only tackle that kicked an opponent in the head. On Sunday, So at least Chris Hubbard didn't do that. It's unacceptable. And it's on John Dorsey to get it fixed. It's on Freddie Kitchens to account for it. It's on Baker Mayfield to account for it. Because I think we might be past the point of assuming that like Chris Hubbard's going to get better. Chris Hubbard is what he is. He was a backup tackle with the Steelers. John Dorsey signed him to be a starter. Um, they figured out a way to make it work in the second half last year. And we all know that stat that Baker, I think, only got sacked three times last year in the second half. Three in the last eight games. And it's because they found a, desi- a design and a scheme that could keep Baker Mayfield clean. Um, it wasn't because the tackles did great individual jobs. So 
They've got to get it fixed. I think they can. My question all preseason was 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 can they overcome the line? Um, and I think they could overcome an average offensive line. They can't overcome a, a terrible offensive line. And there were too many times on Sunday when they were terrible. So I think they'll get it back. I haven't made an official prediction yet because it's only Tuesday morning. Um, but I think they'll beat the Jets. I think they'll figure it out. I think they'll stop the penalties because they just went nuts. And it's on Freddie and Miles Garrett and Greg Robinson and Sheldon Richardson and everybody else who did something silly. I mean, it's on them to do it. I think they can stop that. I don't think they can necessarily stop Chris Hubbard. And and Denzel Ward has to stop grabbing people, too, in the secondary. Denzel Ward was actually the lowest-graded guy in the PFF rankings of any Brown. So that's your number four pick in the draft. Um, Played terrible. Played terrible. And again, we've given a lot of credit to Denzel Ward for his rookie year, and we gave a lot of credit um to the people that 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 brought him in but he was bad Denzel Ward was bad in week one and they got to get that fixed too but I have more faith in Denzel Ward getting it back than I do Chris Hubbard let's start with Matt Stuffelkowski from the Jets then we'll get to Charles McDonald we appreciate you guys joining us here on takes by the lake where we talk about Cleveland sports but mostly the Browns as we look ahead to Monday night in New York Browns versus Jets here to talk Browns Jets with Matt Stipulkowski from NJ Advanced Media. He's the Jets writers there, and the Jets, as we know, are coming off a big shutout win of the Buffalo Bills on Sunday. Matt, how excited are the Jets to uh, open their season with a win like that? <laughs> yeah, uh, almost had it. Uh, yeah, <laughs> it was a grim scene in the locker room after the game, but a uh, pretty familiar one for uh, us that have been covering the Jets. It looked a lot like a lot of games last season. So, yeah, not quite the shutout win that I think a lot of uh, the players and Jets fans would have liked to have hoped for midway through that third quarter. Matt, you've you've covered the NFL, so the Browns are coming off. <laughs> it's like, who lost worse? The Browns, who got blown off the field in the fourth quarter and lost by 30, uh, or the Jets, who had a comfortable 16 nothing lead and, the, and lost 17-16. Um, wh- which team do you think is going to, like, have either feel worse or have more motivation for this Monday night game after two bad week one losses? Ugh, I mean, that's a tough question, but I think in terms of feel worse, it might be the Jets just because it was, I mean, it was a comedy of errors yesterday between not taking advantage when the defense created some takeaways. I mean, the offense, which was, you know, this hyped up thing, Adam Gase and Sam Darnold teaming up to, you know, create this monster and all of a sudden it's a complete dud in week one and then there's kicking problems and then CJ Mosley gets hurt and the defense falls apart. And so, you know, if you're the Browns, it's, it's I mean, losing by 30 or so. It's never good by any stretch. So maybe they'll be the more motivated team coming into this week, just because getting embarrassed like that obviously is never fun. And, you know, I, I would expect them to come out with their hair on fire, but as far as which team might be in more pain on Monday, uh, I would say the Jets, if only because this is a, a feeling that was really familiar for them last year and in the last few seasons. And, uh, you know, you bring in a new coach, you hope to kind of change things. And all of a sudden it seems to seems to be the same themes cropping up again, which is obviously a, a big issue for them. Matt, I thought it was kind of kind of a weird post-game locker room for the Browns. They were just saying stuff like, you know, we just got to look at the film and we'll figure it out. Figure it out. It's like, well, you had like six personal foul penalties. What do you have to look at the film to figure out, like, don't kick somebody in the head after a play is over? And Freddie Kitchens kept saying, it's just one game. It's just one game. Like, what was the mood in the Jets post-game locker room? Like, were they in shock? Were they ticked off? What was the feel in there? There was a little bit of both of those, a little bit of shock, a little bit of frustration and anger, but then 
also a, a good deal of the same, you know, cliched, you know, we got to look at the film thing too. I think it's uh, become kind of the, the easy thing to hide behind for a player after a loss, right? You, you know, if you don't want to have to answer some of those questions on Sunday, just say, Hey, we got to watch the film on Monday. You kind of defer things for a little while. So there was certainly some of that. Uh, some of the jets were uh, defiant, I guess would be a good word. I know Jordan Jenkins kind of uh, said that, you know, the jets won't let this define them. And uh, Jamal Adams, same thing. He was pretty adamant that this Jets team knows how to win and that they'll be all right. It's just one game, but uh, Leonard Williams kind of on the flip side of things was pretty blunt and said that it was a devastating loss and you know it's a division game so it kind of counts for double and this one is going to sting for a while because they had the game in the bag and he said even the Bills should know that they uh, kind of snuck one out there so uh, you know it was a mix of all of those things but um, I do think the the hiding behind the game tape thing is uh, you know something that we're going to hear a lot of from just about any team after a loss. I want to mainly talk about Baker and and Sam Darnold, but two more things I want to get to first. I know a lot of people, including me, uh, picked the Browns to make the playoffs. I picked them to go 12-4. and Um, People here in Cleveland thought, like, this team has all the talent in the world. They're a playoff team. I know the Jets were, were in some quarters, kind of a dark horse wildcard contender before this season started and maybe now after one game in. Did you think there were things that could come together to make the Jets a playoff team, or or did that not seem very likely to you for this season? Uh, could it happen? Yes. Did it seem likely to me? No. Um, I've been saying for a while now that I thought that the range for the Jets was kind of in the 7-9 to nine win area. Um, and before training camp, uh, looking at the schedule, I predicted them to go 9-7 and seven and kind of just miss out on the fringes of wild card contention there. After training camp and watching the team, Ironically enough, I actually kind of downgraded things and I, I went with seven and nine for the Jets um, just because I think this defense could be really problematic for them this season. And we saw flashes of it uh, yesterday against the Bills. I mean, the cornerbacks, the coverage was just brutal all week, uh, all weekend long. The And it was like that in training camp during the preseason. You could kind of see this freight train coming and then, you know, it arrived on Sunday and it bit them in the end. So, um, you know, I don't think they're going to be able to come up with four turnovers on a weekly basis either. So I think those holes on defense are going to be an issue. Uh, so I don't expect the Jets to contend for a playoff spot, but uh, maybe I'm being a little bit more cynical than some would. Um, but yeah, I mean, that was kind of my read on the team was, you know, somewhere in the vicinity of 500, but not quite over the hump. I appreciate a beat writer who says, I think the team I cover might do this, but let me watch them. And then you watch them and you're like, oh, no, they're worse than that. That's good beat writing to me. <laughs> That's good, thorough analysis of the flaws of the team that you know so well. Uh, the defense you mentioned, of course, is run by Greg Williams, who was here in Cleveland the last couple of years. Greg Williams was a guy who came in like a tornado in Cleveland, made all the sports writers sit up straight in their seats. Everybody thought, this guy swears at practice. He's so fiery. And then he spent two years kind of putting the the defensive in in weird positions sometimes on the field. What's been the the reception for Greg Williams in New York? And it sounds like you think maybe the way they played on Sunday, um, Greg Williams did not have a great debut. I mean, he he had a good debut in the sense that his – you know, for the first half, the Jets' defense was outscoring the offense, and they created four takeaways. There was certainly plenty of positives, and I, I would say that his unit was better than Adam Gase's offense for the day. So 
I don't want to take too much away from Greg Williams here, but uh, you know, there were also just some pretty obvious flaws. Um, I think for the most part, Greg Williams has been well received here. I think the fan base has really taken to him kindly. And I think, uh, you know, the players and the staff seem to really enjoy the energy he brings. And, uh, you know, there was nothing but positive words throughout the off season and summer, but obviously that is all before a game gets played. So, It'll be interesting to see how the reactions go over the next few weeks here. Once, you know, the ball is actually in the air and things are happening, do the positive vibes stick around? Um, I think one of the big things that the Jets and fans were hoping for was that Greg Williams would find a way to cover up that cornerback hole that I've mentioned a few times yet uh, so far here. And also that he would kind of be able to rekindle Trumaine Johnson at quarterback. He, he was brutal for the Jets last year, pretty woeful disappointment in his first season with the team but uh you know in three years with greg williams and the rams Tremaine johnson was terrific so reuniting the two i think had some jets fans excited and then Tremaine johnson went out there on sunday against the bills and had another really rough day so uh yeah i think greg williams had plenty of positive things i think when he's able to gin up pressure with this defense then they should be able to force some of those big plays like they showed yesterday. But when the pressure doesn't get home and we saw this against the bills, when they're not getting home, when they're not, you know, getting at least some hands in the face of the quarterback, making them move around a little bit, making them make quick decisions. Uh, it gives them a chance to uh, gives opponents a chance to really pick apart that secondary. And uh, you know, it remains to be seen just how well Greg Williams is going to be able to cover over that flaw. All right, Matt, let's get to the quarterbacks. One season and one game into Sam Darnold. Do you look at Sam Darnold and say, yes, that guy is a franchise quarterback? I would say yes. Um, I think he absolutely is a franchise quarterback. I think he will certainly blossom into one. Um, You know, he is clearly not at his full potential yet, and he needs to get quite a bit more consistent at this point. And, um, you know, week one against the Bills wasn't his best performance by any measure. He was not particularly sharp. There was a lot of balls batted down at the line. And, you know, he was uh, he didn't look great when he was kind of flushed out of the pocket and under pressure, which is a little unusual for him. That was, you know, some of what he did well last year was moving around and kind of improvising and doing things off schedule. So uh, a little bit concerning that that didn't go great for him in week one. But also, you got to remember, I mean, that was his first game in Adam Gase's offense. So, uh, you know, there's going to be some growing pains. There's going to be some learning curve here. So uh, I suppose you cut him a, a bit of slack. But I do think that Darnold has shown, you know, plenty of potential over these first 14 career games now. You know, he missed a few last season due to injury. And uh, I think he's shown the flashes that he can be a franchise quarterback. Now it's just a matter of becoming a more consistent performer and, uh, you know, getting it done that way. Back when this draft was coming up on the Browns and the Jets, um, I I liked Baker Mayfield, and then I cover Ohio State, and I went to the Cotton Bowl, and Ohio State played USC, and I said at the time, I feel like that I was sort of in love with Baker Mayfield, and then I had a fling with Sam Darnold at the Cotton Bowl, because I really like Sam Darnold, and I I liked what I heard from him. I liked what I heard from his teammates. I understood the idea that he was kind of a, he was a young quarterback, just in his age, a couple years younger than Baker Mayfield. He was also young to the position, having played other positions 
positions in high school. And I think it would have been completely reasonable for the Browns to take Sam Darnold number one. And I think he's going to be a good quarterback. But the one thing is, it it did maybe seem to me that you were just going to have to have a little more patience with him um, being younger, being a little more raw, I think, in the position than Baker Mayfield. Do you feel like the Jets and their fans have an understanding of like it might just take a little bit with this guy? Or do you think it will reach some point, um, you know, in the middle of this season where, you know, if he's just making sort of rookie, not not rookie anymore, but young quarterback mistakes, will they get frustrated? Or is there like a long haul, he is our dude kind of idea from both the team and the fans? I think it's a mix of both. I, I think fans at this point are pretty well convinced that Sam Darnold is and can be their guy moving forward. So I don't think if he has, you know, rough first eight weeks here or like a spotty first eight weeks, I don't think they're going to throw in the towel on the guy by any means. But, you know, it's still New York. There's going to be plenty of frustration with him if he's not performing and winning games. So uh, I think kind of both of those things can be true at the same time to an extent. But, yeah, I do think you're right. We're kind of seeing the difference in age and experience level between the two quarterbacks right now where Baker Mayfield is a guy with some more time under his belt, a little bit more polish and, uh, you know, that's paying dividends for the Browns early on, or, you know, at least that's the expectation that it will this season. I know it wasn't so so true in week one, but that, uh, you know, he was great as a rookie, came out of the gate strong and, you know, should continue that this season, whereas Sam Donald just has a little bit more uh, room that he needs to grow into before he really becomes that elite kind of NFL quarterback. So I, I do think that is one of the big differences between those two guys, just as you said, the gap in their age and their experience level at this point. Is there anything in New York, like is Baker Mayfield at all on the, on the minds of Jets fans or on the, in the mouths of Jets fans from the standpoint of, you know, maybe there was a time when, when Jets fans, he was the guy they thought they would get that if Darnold maybe seemed like the more likely number one pick for a time for the Browns, it, does that linger at all in New York? The idea of, oh, man, I thought maybe we were going to have Baker Mayfield here. No, uh, I don't actually get that much, if at all. Um, and I think part of that might have to do with the fact that, A, they really like Sam Darnold, but B, also, I mean, when Baker Mayfield gets chosen number one overall and the Jets don't pick until number three, uh, it's kind of tough to, you know, second guess anything. It, it'd be different, I suppose, if the Jets had had the number one pick and the Browns were picking number three and the Jets took Darnold and the Browns got Mayfield and then everything remained equal from there. Maybe some fans would say, oh, maybe we picked the wrong guy. But, uh, you know, at this point, Sam Darnold kind of fell into their laps. People were really just happy to have him at that point. Uh, and Mayfield was never really an option by the time the draft came around to the Jets. So uh, I don't see much of that kind of wishful thinking at all, uh, at least when I go on my Twitter feed. But uh, I'm sure there's some strain of Jets fans out there. It's just certainly not uh, even close to a majority. All right. Last two for you, Matt. When in terms of like part of Baker's appeal here in Cleveland is is the off field stuff is that he he stands up for Cleveland. He gets in fights with people in the in the media and the national media. He's not afraid to express his opinion. And in a lot of ways, I think Cleveland needed that. And that's part of why people like him so much. Where is Darnold there? Does he have sort of the off field personality that fits New York is I, I, I seems like he's certainly quieter than Baker. How do you think he's, he's handling that aspect of being a franchise quarterback? I think 
that Sam Darnold is pretty good, a pretty good fit for the New York media market. He's uh, Eli Manning-esque in the fact that he is uh, pleasant and, you know, a nice guy. And when he'll, you know, stand up and he'll answer your questions, and he'll talk. But when you listen back, you didn't really say that much. And it was kind of vanilla, uh, you know, and that's, you know, people kind of, I don't know if it's the most electric approach, but uh, it's a good way to not get yourself into trouble, especially when there's a flock of uh, cameras and beat reporters and columnists all over the place here in New York. So, uh, you know, if Baker Mayfield was here, I'm sure everyone would be a lot more on edge waiting for his next move all the time. But there would also be uh, a big, big, big wave of criticism every time he did something, you know, stepped out of line a little bit. Uh, he'd be riding high a lot of times when things went well, and then he'd be riding low a lot of times. Sam Darnold is a little bit more even keeled in his approach, his demeanor. So uh, I think that's working out just fine for him so far in New York here. All right, Matt, last one. So both on Monday night and, and this year and in the years ahead, what would what would Sam Darnold do? What would it look like if Sam Darnold reaches the point where Cleveland fans might ever say, man, I, I wonder if we if we took the wrong guy? What what is that? upside for Sam Darnold um, if he really maxes out his potential. And again, I, I, I liked a lot of guys. I didn't like Josh Allen. I liked multiple guys um, in that quarterback class. I thought I think Baker's a franchise quarterback. I think Darnold's a franchise quarterback. I think Lamar Jackson's a franchise quarterback. Um, but if we ever get to that point, what would it look like for if, if Cleveland ever has some regret about Sam Darnold? What's his absolute maximum upside? Uh, I mean, I think he could be a perennial Pro Bowl guy for sure, uh, you know, getting some all-pro nods if things are really going well, and maybe he finds himself in an MVP race one day. You know, this is obviously all if things go according to plan and his uh, projected trajectory keeps going the way everyone expects it to. You know, a lot can go wrong between point A and point B, but uh, if Sam Darnold reaches his full potential, I would struggle to think that he wouldn't at least be a top 10 quarterback in this league and, uh, you know, very well could be a, a top five, top three quarterback in this league when it's all said and done. So, uh, you know, he has a, has the potential to be one of the best quarterbacks playing in this game at some point. So, uh, you know, I suppose if Baker Mayfield stumbles a little bit and Sam Darnold hits his full potential, you know, Browns fans at some point could look back and say, man, what if, but, uh, you know, I think it's more likely that both of these guys are going to kind of parallel each other for a long time and it's going to create some fun rivalries and some fun games. And, uh, you know, it's going to be a bunch of fireworks. Who knows? Maybe we get lucky and we have a, another, you know, Tom Brady, Peyton Manning kind of thing on our hands. I don't want to crown either one of those guys as, you know, Canton guys right now or, you know, some of the all time greats right now. But uh, if we could have anything even approaching that, if we could have something half as good as, Peyton and Tom Brady again, I, I think all of us would take it. All right, last half question. How athletic is Darnold? How does his athleticism come out when he plays quarterback? He is sneaky athletic, I guess, would be the way I would put it. He is not a guy that's going to like blaze downfield. He's not going to hit you with the truck stick and run you over. But uh, the dude is really good at just kind of sliding around, extending plays, like using his feet to just – you know, he feels the pressure pretty well generally. And when he was at his best last year is when, uh, you know, if he got flushed out of the pocket, he could kind of just improvise and make things happen and uh, combine his football IQ with 
just enough athleticism to kind of uh, get around. And then one of the things that he does really, really impressively well is just throw while he's on the run. And he's one of those rare guys that can throw pretty effectively when he's moving to his left uh, and is really good at that. So uh, he doesn't have to have his hips set. He doesn't have to have his feet, you know, perfectly set. He doesn't have to be facing the right way and he can still like sneak a pass into a window. So that I think is kind of the way he really displays his athleticism more than anything. It's just that improvisational skill and kind of that, uh, I guess as Dan Orlovsky would call it, the, the magical sloppiness that he can provide sometimes. Matt Stipulkowski from NJ Advanced Media. That was some really good Jets facts flying at us there. I feel like I know much more about this Monday night game here early in the week. Matt, thank you so much for your time, and uh, let's hope we get an interesting one on Monday. Yeah, absolutely. I appreciate it. Returning to Takes by the Lake, one of my favorite follows on Twitter. His friends call him Four Verts. His family calls him Charles McDonald. Charles, how you doing, man? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. Uh, you know, it was great to just kick off the NFL season. There's uh, a lot to talk about, especially, you know, as pertains to the Browns and the AFC North. And, you know, it, it just kind of feels like Christmas every year. And I don't think we were disappointed on Sunday until we got to that Steelers-Patriots uh, game, which was a, a bit of a snoozer. <laughs> That's true. That's true. Um, so here's the thing. We want to, the, the reason I wanted to have you on, you're so good with quarterbacks. You're so good with the way you analyze the NFL. I want to talk about Baker Mayfield and Sam Darnold and this Monday night matchup of second year quarterbacks. But I feel like we got to squeeze in a little Lamar at the start. What did you think of Lamar Jackson on Sunday? Oh, man. Okay. So, you know, I think there are two things about Lamar's performance that can be true at the same time. And, you know, it doesn't have to be a thing where we divide it. So I think you can say that one, the Miami Dolphins are obviously very, very bad and pacing up, like on pace to be one of the worst teams that we've ever seen in the NFL. Uh, I think we can all agree that that's true. And then on the flip side, it's hard to discount, like when you watch it, really just how impressive Lamar Jackson was during the football. I mean, I, I was a big Lamar guy coming out of Louisville. I thought that he and Baker were like the two franchise-changing quarterbacks in that classic. If you can get these guys hitting on the right cylinders, you should be straight at quarterback for like the next 10 years. Like that's really how I felt about those two guys. But, you know, you have to remember that the last time that we saw Lamar Jackson play a football game was that playoff game against the Chargers. And, you know, if, if you just go by straight time, like not even time of possession, like – 4 o'clock to 6 p.m., he went a whole two hours without completing a single pass. And then, you know, in the fourth quarter, you kind of see him get going and you realize, okay, this is why they dropped in the first round. But from where he was in that playoff game to where he is now, it's a really big leap that he took. And I know that, like I said, the Dolphins are bad, but he's throwing down the field, like 40 yards down the field, thick of the wrist dimes. He's throwing into traffic. Uh, you know, making perfect passes through on the run, out routes, in routes. I mean, it was just a mastery of a quarterback performance. And, you know, I, I think a lot of people might have taken it with a grain of salt when John Harbaugh, the whole summer, he was saying, you know, watch out for Lamar Jackson, watch out for Lamar Jackson. Like, I'm telling you, he's a lot better player than he was last year. But for him to come out with that explosion was just crazy. And, you know, last night I tweeted out the stat where there's a stat called adjusted uh, – yards per attempt where it kind of converts touchdowns and interceptions into yards. So you kind of get a little bit more clear of 
how efficiently they played. So Lamar Jackson finished with an adjusted yards per attempt mark of 21.2, I believe, which is, you know, obviously insane. Uh, and there are four quarterbacks now that have done that in a game with at least 20 attempts. Lamar Jackson, obviously we saw him do it yesterday. Johnny Unitas, Joe Namath, and Drew Brees. So, like, that's really good company to be in. Three Hall, <laughs> Two Hall of Fame guys, another one uh, that's well on his way there, like three titans of the game. So, for him to come out and just do that performance, it was amazing. And Hollywood Brown, first two catches of his NFL career uh, were touchdowns. So, you know, big week for Lamar uh, and a big weekend for the Brown family <laughs> with Antonio Brown, his cousin, going to uh, New England. I do think this should be of interest to to Browns fans here on on Takes by the Lake because we know the Browns have the Ravens twice this year, obviously. They're going to be facing Lamar Jackson twice a year for the next decade. They have the Ravens in in week four. When we talk about just like natural arm talent and throwing ability, Charles, I didn't get to see much of Lamar, but I saw the thing you mentioned, that flick of the wrist deep ball, that highlight. How many guys can do that? It felt like he barely even stepped into that throw, and he dropped it 50 yards on the guy's hands. Just the natural ability to throw a ball like that, where does he fit in the NFL landscape? You know, when you're talking about just guys who can make it look that easy, I don't want to say that he's Aaron Rodgers, but like it really does remind you of like something like that prime Aaron Rodgers stuff where he'll just wait and wait and wait, and then he'll see his guy get like a, a step beat, a step deep, and he just flicks it. And, like, you know, the, the 83-yard touchdown they threw the Hollywood Brown, uh, I think it was in, the, like, the second quarter. But, you know, like you said, it was effortless for him, for him to just flick his wrist, and that ball is, like, screaming through the air, and it lands in the perfect spot for, you know, not only Hollywood to catch it, but to catch it on the run. And, you know, when you have a guy who can catch it on the run and he's really that fast, I mean, I know Hollywood didn't get to go through the combine because uh, he had, like, a, a foot fracture or whatever, but you just turn on the tape when he was at Oklahoma and you just saw, like, this dude's going to run, like, a 4-3 because he's really just that explosive, and that was on full display. I mean, it's really rare to have a guy that can hit those 1% throws. We're talking about like, you know, Aaron Rodgers, Drew Brees, Cam Newton, Patrick Mahomes, like where you just see that effortless flick of the wrist and it's right where it needs to be. I mean, obviously you, you shouldn't expect five touchdowns on 20 attempts every week because uh, that's just unsustainably good. But man, like you just got to be encouraged if you're a Ravens fan and maybe a little bit scared if you're a fan of the AFC North. And another thing is he only ran the ball three times, three times for six yards. And, even without him running the ball, that running game can really get going. And, you know, they have a really good offensive tackle deal on Ronnie Stanley and Orlando Brown. Like, you know, we talk about Lamar Jackson being the focal point at that offense, and obviously he's the key. But outside of him, they, they have a lot of talent, a lot of young talent on that offense, especially in the offensive line. And now they have a receiver in Hollywood Brown who can go and torch any defense. It's interesting. A lot of <clears throat> I've thought about this a lot, and other people have mentioned it, as the Browns are trying to uh, send – here in the AFC North, it felt like maybe that they were going to catch the rest of the division sort of on the downswing. Uh, I think we're seeing that in Cincinnati. I think there's a chance we see that in Pittsburgh. I think people make a lot of assumptions about Steelers culture and how long Ben's going to hang on. But man, you lose Le'Veon Bell and Antonio Brown. That's a lot of talent walking out the door. And I know they have other dudes, but like, I don't think the Steelers are on the rise. They're trying to hang on right now. But it seems like it's possible that like Baltimore just flipped the script from Bla- from Flacco to Lamar 
um, and and are right back at it. Um, I don't want to spend this pod this podcast, Charles, like talking about oh, like did the Browns make a mistake <laughs> taking Baker Mayfield number one because they they did not make a mistake. No, they Baker they did Mayfield not make a mistake. One. But obviously, it felt like in the end, maybe Josh Allen was in that mix, but it felt like Baker and Sam Darnold were sort of the consensus top two guys at the top of that quarterback class in 2018, just with the NFL, just getting more open-minded about the quarterback position, that Kyler Murray is not a huge dude, that Baker is not a huge dude, that they are, they are finding more exceptions to the rule to the point that I think maybe they're throwing out the rules that if you can throw and you can play and you can diagnose, maybe they don't care how tall you are anymore or whether you look like, you know, Dan Marino anymore. Do you think if 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 Lamar if if this draft was coming in 2020, if the Baker Mayfield, Sam Darnold, Lamar, Josh Allen, Josh Rosen class was in 2020, do you think Lamar would get any more looks for number one overall? Because it just felt like he wasn't in that kind of discussion in 2018. Is the league evolving at all? Or is he going to make the league evolve or do you think, and you said you had him ranked with Baker. Do you think he should have been getting that consideration in 2018? And then if so, why didn't he? Well, yeah, I, I, I think we could do a whole podcast on, on why he didn't get that, that luck on, you know, in terms of, you know, being on par with Baker and guys like, like Sam Donald. But to me, the crazy thing was, we look at Lamar Jackson's resume and we kind of did the same thing with Deshaun Watson too, right? Where, you know, you look at these guys' resume and, you know, Deshaun didn't have the Heisman trophy that Lamar did, but we're talking about guys that significantly elevate the program. I mean, we, it, it doesn't, it didn't take long for Louisville to go from, you know, a 10 win team to Bob Petrino's getting fired after Lamar left. And I think people who watched that, who watched that Louisville team, like really studied that Louisville team that last year he was there, it was really just Lamar holding up this entire team. And you saw like that bowl game before, like the year he won the Heisman, they played that bowl game against LSU and you see, okay, they have a quarterback, but the rest of the team really isn't on par. So to me, when I watched Lamar Jackson, I thought, you know, here's this guy who's not perfect. And I don't think any draft prospect is perfect. And that's part of the job in the NFL to kind of get them to the next level. But He's really just making everything around him better. He's making life easier for his coaches. He's throwing the ball. He's playing a pro-style offense. I mean, he did a lot of under-center stuff. Uh, I think he did more under-center stuff in college than he did with the Ravens on uh, on Sunday because almost all their stuff was out of pistol. But you see these guys like Baker, like Baker Mayfield, like Deshaun Watson, like Lamar Jackson, where they're really setting the standard for you know, for their teammates, like, this is the level that you guys need to be on because I'm on this level. Uh, and, you know, it was just kind of weird for someone like Josh Allen to, who didn't really accomplish anything in college, who had a pretty bad touchdown interception ratio. Wyoming was a middling team in the MAC or wherever they play or Midwestern Conference. Uh, and, you know, to see him get elevated above Lamar Jackson, you know, it's kind of weird. And, you know, I was talking to my buddies who cover college football uh, this past weekend, and they're all like, you know, college football fans are not surprised when Deshaun Watson, Baker Mayfield, and Lamar Jackson come out here and take the NFL by storm because that's what they've been doing in college for three years now. Uh, you know, they're not surprised when someone like Josh Allen can barely go a half without getting, you know, two or three turnovers because, you know, that's what he did in college. So, you know, 
I think that Lamar, he should have been up there for that draft, but also, you know, it kind of ended up helping him because he ended up in a situation with a team that historically has drafted fantastic. Even with Eric DaCosta moving on from uh, Ozzie Newsom, they still put together a really strong draft class this past year. So, you know, he's in good hands, but he probably should have been at the top of that board last year. Does it feel like Charles and, and, you know, I've been covering college football for 15 years that it felt like some of the college success, for instance, the three guys that you just mentioned, I I felt like there was a time when the NFL would have brushed some of that off and said, well, you know, that's college. That's college spread stuff that doesn't necessarily translate to the NFL. But Josh Allen, that translates to the NFL. But it feels like the NFL offenses, as they often do are borrowing enough from college football now, are transitioning enough now that people are in shotgun all the time, people are spread out all the time, people are using the quarterback run as a little more of a threat. Um, mm-hmm. is, it that, is it that the NFL has, has adopted enough of the college offensive game that if Lamar Jackson and Baker Mayfield and Deshaun Watson tear it up in college, it, it is more obvious and makes more sense that they're, that they're going to succeed in the NFL because college and the NFL are more similar than they used to be? Yeah, and, you know, this is something that I've believed for a long time, and I think this kind of goes for any field that you're in. Like, you, if you're in an upper management situation like you're in the NFL and you're looking at the college product, you can only do, like, you can only make do with what the college game is giving you. So, you know, if I have all these playmakers in college that are out here winning the Heisman Trophy and throwing for 4,000 yards and rushing for, like, 800 yards, you know, it doesn't make sense for me to take a lesser player just because this is what I think it should be. You have to kind of adjust your standards and adjust your expectations and just go out and get the best football players. And, you know, I, I think that this Arizona case with Cliff Kingsbury and Colin Murray is going to be, I mean, just super duper interesting. I, I wrote a uh, season preview uh, this year for SB Nation where I went out and interviewed some air raid coaches and they talked about what Cliff's offense is going to look like and, and what to expect. But, you know, I, I think we're already we're kind of seeing that shift where I talked to Sonny Dykes, uh, who uh, coaches at SMU, and he was the head coach at Cal when Jared Goff was there. He, you know, he got him the stats to be the number one overall pick. And you kind of, and Sonny Dykes says, you know, you look at what Aaron, Andy Reid is doing with the Chiefs, and there's already a lot of college stuff in his offense with Patrick Mahomes. And we saw that Patrick Mahomes won the MVP last year, and they just threw for 300 yards in the first half against one of the better defenses in the league in Jacksonville on Sunday. So, you know, I I think the NFL is getting a lot more open and it just makes sense because if you're going to have these dynamic college players and you can see what they do in college and you see what they do well, then you might as well implement that in the NFL too. Charles, this is something, it's not like I gave you a heads up on this or anything, but, but, but you know so much off the top of your head. It's a hard question, but as we move away and, and, and reach the end of the Brady breeze, Roethlisberger era, Let's say five, six years from now, who do you think who do you think are the guys who are going to ascend to that threshold? I mean, I, th- I would imagine most people think that that Patrick Mahomes is in that group. But you do have enough of these guys in the last couple draft what, drafts, whether it's Carson Wentz or Jared Goff or Deshaun Watson or Mayfield and Lamar Jackson and, and Sam Darnold. Who who do you think will be the very best quarterbacks in, in the NFL five years from now? You know, I I think obviously gotta throw Mahomes there. I mean, first year MVP starter, he might already be there. Uh, I mean, just when you see the command that he has over that offense and the amount of like the dedication that they've had to get him playmakers, 
Uh, you know, they're gonna have to navigate his his albatross contract when that comes, but he's 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 already there. Uh, you know, Baker Mayfield not worried about yesterday's game at all. Really, uh, I I think he's on that track. Uh, Lamar is interesting. Like if 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 they can keep like the speed element to that offense and really just kind of keep his punishment down from the QB runs, because you know the funny thing was before the season, John Harbaugh said. Lamar Jackson is going to break the record for most quarterback runs, and he ran the ball three times yesterday. So, you know, I don't really know what the plan is there, but, you know, he's on track there. Deshaun Watson, I mean, Carson Wentz, Dak Prescott, Jared Goff, like, there's so much quarter, like young quarterback talent in the league right now. And, you know, it, it's kind of funny thinking about that fact when just a couple of years ago, people were saying, you know, is there a quarterback crisis in the NFL? Like, what are we going to do when these old guys come out? And, I think we saw, especially like last year, towards the end of last year and on Sunday, that there's not really that much to be worried about. You know, the, the natural cycle of talent in the NFL is going to happen. And we already have one guy in Mahomes who looks like he's poised to maybe even be in that Mount Rushmore quarterbacks when it's all said and done. And now we have a lot of guys behind him, like the guys that just mentioned. And, you know, we're going to have guys like, uh, you know, Matt Ryan and Aaron Rodgers still playing well for the next couple of years. So, you know, I, I think it's going to be a really fun time for, for this new generation of quarterback talent to come up because they just don't play like their predecessors do. I mean, Tom Brady is great, but he was never out here running the ball and throwing no-look passes and cross-body throws like Patrick Mahomes. And, you know, even if you want to go back to Michael Vick, like Michael Vick has never had a game like Lamar Jackson did yesterday. And, you know, it, it's just it's just a really exciting time to be a football fan because – the offenses are getting so diverse. The quarterback talent is so diverse. And, and you know, it, it's just it's just a fun time to watch and see these playmakers get open and make explosive plays and how the defenses try to counter it. But, you know, I, I think the NFL is really good hands as far as quarterback talent goes. All right. So let's dive into to this Monday night matchup that's looming between Baker Mayfield and Sam Darnold. Um Again, you have you had just said that you had Baker Mayfield and Lamar Jackson as the top guys in 2018. What was it that maybe you did not have Sam Darnold on quite the same level of those two? And what have you thought of of Sam Darnold through one season plus one more game uh, in the NFL so far? Well, the thing with Darnold that kind of worried me a little bit was the amount of turnovers. And you know, like you kind of get these quarterbacks where they're trading off the big plays for the turnovers. And from honestly, for me with Donald, I just couldn't get a feel like his game had like a really heckle and jide approach to it, where you would see the games where he's throwing four touchdowns in the tight windows and everything looks great. And then, you know, they, there's, there was almost uh, a level of survival bias in his game where you see the throws and you look at it and you say, okay, that's a great throw, but he's also a half a step away from getting picked off. And, it was really hard for me to just kind of juxtapose that in my mind and figure out who this guy is. But like, I saw the talent and I think, you know, in the last month of last season, he was one of the best quarterbacks in the league. So, you know, it's just kind of figuring out which guy that's going to be like, is he Blake Bortles or is he Ben Roethlisberger? And that's the, that's where I was stuck in my head because, you know, the thing with Baker and Lamar coming out of college was you're getting these super duper explosive plays and they're not throwing interceptions. Uh, you know, up until that last game against Mississippi State in Lamar Jackson's final season where he threw four interceptions, you know, he'd only thrown six the entire season before that. So, you know, this isn't a guy that's going to turn over the ball a lot. Baker's kind of the same way. 
you know, outside of whatever happened in the fourth quarter yesterday, I thought that was really uncharacteristic of him. And I think they're going to get back on track. But, uh, you know, it was just kind of like the turnovers and the high variance play that kind of had me, that had Donald a tier below uh, Mayfield and Jackson for me. Before we dig into Baker, can we just throw a little Josh Allen slander out there? Like, is he ever, <laughs> is he ever going to make <laughs> I it? Mean... Like, if, if you were a Bills fan and we're talking about all these great young quarterbacks in the NFL, if you were a Bills fan, would you have like a knot in your stomach right now? Or do you think this guy somehow can, can find a way to make it? Look, I mean, Bills fans are jumping off the tables and, you know, just acting crazy. So they're kind of in their own little world when it comes to Josh Allen. I mean, you you'd be surprised just like how staunchly they defend him and I don't really get it. I mean, Tyrod Taylor had a, a, a has had better recent season and I don't think Tyler Tyrod Taylor is a great quarterback. I think, you know, at his best he's probably an average starting quarterback, but you know, Tyrod Taylor has had better seasons than than uh Josh Allen has had and the way that they talk about Tyrod versus Allen is it's just kind of startling to me. Uh and I, I I watched like the first three quarters of that Bills Jets game last night, and man, it, it's just the dude just doesn't know how to play quarterback, and he hey. he gets he, right. So you know, I was talking to uh, like one of my best friends in this business, Justin Mosqueda. We were talking about the game last night, and he had this great quote about Josh Allen, where he says, "If you watch him and you pay attention to him, especially on the shotgun snaps or when they're coming out in five wide receiver sets." It looks like he catches the ball, falls asleep, and then wakes up in the middle of the play. Like he'll he'll sit there, he'll catch the snap, and it looks like he's diagnosing the the. It looks like he's diagnosing the offense, and all of a sudden, like he'll hit this jolt where he's like, "All right, I have to scramble now." And you know, it, it's kind of funny that Lamar Jackson got that scrambling, uh, you know, note from draft analysts last year, but Josh Allen's the big scramble. I mean, if you just watch that first half of yesterday's game between the Bills and the Jets. There are so many plays where Josh Allen is not even looking to throw the ball. Like he is catching the snap. If his first read's not there, he's taking off. And I mean, to be fair to him, it worked out for him at the end of last year. But I think defense has kind of caught on a little bit. Like if we can just cover the first like level of his reads and force him to sit in the pocket, he's gonna run. And I'd rather have him try to run for four yards than try to throw it for twenty. So he, he's he's eventually gonna have to learn that. He's got to sit in there, diagnose the defense, and then trust his arm because we all know that he's got a bazooka for a right arm, but it doesn't matter if you're just going to take off and run every play. God, I'm just so happy he's not in Cleveland. Like, it just, like, good luck, Bills <laughs> fans. I understand that Buffalo is a tortured fan base as well, but my gosh, that was just the guy I was like, anybody but him. So let's get to Baker now. Those three picks in the fourth quarter, I am sort of writing off as like, listen, he's trying to make a play. They had so many penalties. They were behind schedule all day. Um, they just had a lot of weird stuff go against him. And if your quarterback is like trying to thread a ball to Odell Beckham between three guys in the fourth quarter and he gets picked and then like it kind of gets away from you, you know, if you're a playmaker, sometimes that's going to happen sometimes. Is that like a reasonable diagnosis? of that fourth quarter or is that, or is that making excuses for Baker Mayfield and that there was something um, in him getting turnover happy late in that game that would maybe raise some red flags? Uh, I I really don't think that that game was a big deal yesterday. I mean, especially when you look at that interception in the fourth quarter, the one that Kevin Bayard picked off. I mean, that was the only one that kind of concerned me a little bit. Like the rest of them, it's just, it's crunch time and we're down by 20 points and, 
it, it, it's just got to happen. We got to try to make, make this happen somehow. And, you know, I, I think the, the bigger deal with the Browns is the penalty yardage. I mean, 200 yards in penalty, like, what is that? That That's, that's crazy. I mean, you got guys getting fights on the field. And, you know, I know that they want to have that edge and toughness under Freddie Kitchens, but you kind of have got to have that, that spot where you, you're, you're playing with the edge, but you're not doing dumb stuff on the field. And, you know, with Baker, he was, I, okay, so you have that first play where the first, I, can, I think his first pass of the game could have been intercepted. But outside of that, up until the fourth quarter, I thought he was pretty good, like largely fine. And then it just kind of imploded in the fourth quarter when they got behind and they were just letting up score so quick and you got to get back in the game. And, you know, that's just kind of how the, the – that, that's kind of how it uh, tumbles sometimes where you just – you're stuck like that. And you're trying to make a play, and it doesn't turn out your way. But I really wouldn't be concerned with Baker. I, I thought it was kind of interesting that they didn't really look like that Browns offense that we saw towards the back half of last season. I mean, like just schematically, they were, you know, pretty stale, pretty stoic. They didn't have like the same backfield motions that they were using a lot last year with Nick Chubb and Duke Johnson. And, uh, you know, that was kind of weird. And the offensive line might have a little worries. But at the end of the day, you know, Baker Mayfield, he's going to get back on track. Uh, they just have too much talent at receiver with Odell and Jarvis Landry, and Odell didn't play in the preseason, so, you know, they're still kind of trying to get on the same page. But, you know, I, I think that this upcoming game against the Jets is a game where that offense could really take off because if there's one weakness on the Jets, like they're, they're really built well up the middle where you look at Quinton Williams, Leonard Williams, DJ Mosley, behind them, you have Marcus May and Jamal Adams. They're built really well up the middle. But on the edges, when you look at their edge rushers and their cornerbacks, that's a huge weakness for them. Uh, I mean, I don't think anyone expects Jermaine Johnson to be able to keep up with Odell Beckham. And then you got Jarvis Landry and Richard Higgins. Like, this is a game where, you know, you call it like your quote-unquote get-right game. And I think that that's where the Browns' offense can be if, you know, they just don't bite themselves in the, in the film, shoot themselves in the foot with all these dumb penalties and then, you know, implode in the fourth quarter with three interceptions. But, you know, I, I really don't think that it's – that there's a reason to be, like, concerned about the Browns or concerned about Baker. But, you know, we're going to have to get these jokes off with the way that they were getting hyped in the offseason. But overall, yeah. for the, the, long, the rest of the season, I, I'm still really high on them and still think they have a chance to push the Ravens for the AFC North. Do you think, uh, Charles, that Freddie Kitchens obviously came in and, and, and was creative calling plays in the second half last year, as you mentioned? T- to me, there was a little bit of a stretch there, maybe in the second quarter, where they were just sort of hitting like eight-yard outs or six-yard outs to Odell and, and just getting the ball to him and letting him try to make a move and get by guys that I maybe sort of thought it's like, well, like we used to try to do like creative stuff, but man, now we have Odell Beckham, just like play it straight and, th- and throw him the ball. Like, would that make any sense to you of like, if they, if they really like their talent on offense, we like Chubb, we like Landry, we, we like Beckham, we like Njoku, then, then maybe they dial, then maybe they play it straight. And, and now maybe Freddie will realize, Hey, maybe I played it too straight, but would that be part of the philosophy? Maybe that he was trying some things before, cause he didn't have a guy like Odell Beckham, but now that, that he does, he was like, well, just throw the ball to him. Yeah, I, I definitely think that that could be part of it because, you know, I think Jarvis Landry is a nice receiver. Like, a, a, I think an ideal situation like you have now, he's your number two guy. Uh, but, you know, when he's your number one guy, you know, you might want to be a little bit more creative. And, you know, last year you didn't have that guy 
who could go out against any quarterback in the cornerback in the league and just say, I can dust this guy. You know, I got this matchup one-on-one, no problem. And now that you have that, it's almost like, you know, I don't have to be as creative because I have this guy that can win on one matchups and everything's just kind of going to unfold beyond that because we have this guy that's taking on so much attention. But, you know, it might behoove you to get a little creative with, uh, with Odell Beckham too, because, you know, it pains me to go back to that 2016 season as a Falcons fan when they blew that lead to the Patriots Super Bowl. But, you know, you have this receiver in Julio Jones and the, in the years prior to that 2016 season, obviously he's doing work. I mean, he's Julio Jones. He's one of the best receivers to ever play. He's, you know, he's killing DBs. And then 2016 comes, and now we get plays where Julio Jones is wide open by himself in the middle of the field, or Julio Jones is matched up on a linebacker, and you really get to, like, you really get to maximize on the talent then. Uh, and, you know, I, I think the Browns just might want to think about that with Oda Beckham, where I think they just, it almost felt like they tried so hard not to get cute on Sunday that they almost shot themselves in the foot a little bit. But, you know, I, I think they just kind of need to recalibrate Go back and look at that twenty that twenty eighteen film and realize, you know, we have a quarterback, we have receivers, we have we know that we have the offensive mind to come and exploit defenses. We just gotta get back to doing what we do well and kind of just not overthink, you know, the talent that we have. Like Oda Beckham is great and he can beat any quarterback one on one, but it's even better when you can get him on a linebacker, you can get him on a safety, or you can get him on a defensive end that's dropping in coverage. So, you know, it's, it's just things to think about for them. And they just kind of need to push the, like, you know, put the pedal to the metal a little bit because you don't want to start the season out 0 and 2. That makes it really hard to get into the playoffs. And you have Baltimore, who has another layup game against Arizona. Like, you really don't want to end up 0 and 2 while they're at 2 0 and, and really rolling. I could talk football with you, Charles, all day, but I'm going to end it with this one because you have a life to lead. Um, in the end, what is it that you like about Baker Mayfield as an NFL quarterback? And if we're, you know, we're evaluating him off off of last year and, and not going too crazy about what happened in week one, what would what would lead you to say to Browns fans that, like, yeah, this is a guy that you can believe in who you think can be a long term franchise quarterback for for Cleveland? Yeah, I just love the aggressiveness that he shows all the time. And, you know, he, he's one of those quarterbacks where you see the way that he, you know, acts off the field. And personally, I don't care. Like, you, you, like anyone who follows me on Twitter knows that I really don't care about what, pe- what guys say on, off the field because it's just not that serious. Like, we're talking about a game. But you, you see the way that he, like, conducts uh, himself off the field and it's just, like, very much, like, macho and – aggressive and he brings it and he backs it up on the field. I mean, this guy is never going to be afraid to test the window 20 yards down the field because, you know, we, we can do statistical studies that show that, you know, even if the completion percentage is lower on longer throws, those plays are still more valuable than, you know, your short dump offs. And, you know, that's just one thing that I love about him. And I think that as we move throughout the season and we move throughout his career, you're going to keep those aggressive plays and those three interception games are going to become outliers. Like, you know, it, it happens. It happens to every quarterback. Peyton Manning, Tom Brady, every quarterback you can think of has had three interception games, four interception games, five, five interception games. It happens. But we all know that he's talented. We know that he was probably worth the number one pick in last year's draft, and he looks like a franchise quarterback even with that performance yesterday. And, you know, he's going to keep that pedal to the metal, and he's going to make sure the Browns go out there and try to score as many points as possible. Charles, tell the, tell the people again where they can find your work. Uh, you can find me 
on Twitter at Fourverts. I'm at SB Nation. Uh, just check out my author page. It's in my Twitter bio. Make sure to check out my uh, uh, season preview on the air rating Cliff Kingsbury, which was looking very stupid up until the fourth quarter yesterday when Kyler Murray bailed me out a little bit. Uh, but yeah, that was a real f- a blast to put together, and uh, it seems to, something that people have enjoyed a lot. That's the thing, Charles. Guys like us, we're unbiased, right? We just observe the game and, and cover the game, but you end up rooting for yourself. And so, like, whenever you write a big a thing bit, like yeah. that, it's like, man, don't make me look stupid. <laughs> yeah. So I'm glad I'm glad Kyler bailed you out on that one. But um, love your work, Charles. Really appreciate your time. Um, I, I could not recommend uh, Four Verts as a Twitter follow uh, any more enthusiastically. You put great stuff out there. So um, appreciate your time here on Takes by the Lake, and we will certainly have you back um, whenever whenever you can make time for us. All right, absolutely. Just let me know. And that's it. Thanks to Matt Stipulkowski. Thanks to Charles McDonald. Try Project Text. Check it out. Cleveland.com slash Browns. Cleveland.com slash OSU. 399 a month. All kinds of football stuff right into your phone a couple times a day. Um, we'll be back next week to talk about whatever happened. Well, it'll be probably later on Tuesday that you'll get it because it's a Monday night game. And, uh, if it's one and one or versus 0 and 2, I think will be a very different podcast and a very different week for all of you. So for now, thanks for listening to Takes by the Lake. From Doug Maurice, we'll talk to you next time.